Elijah becomes known as the Malach Habrit, the angel or messenger of the covenant, who journeys around the world witnessing the devotion of the people of Israel to the covenant. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 110, Elijah's Chariot of Fire. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Over 40 years ago, a small movie was released in England named Chariots of Fire. One year later, it emerged as the surprise winner of the Best Picture Oscar. The film depicts two British runners who competed in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, a Jew named Harold Abrams and a devout Christian named Eric Little. Both intended originally to run the 100-meter dash to seek to become the fastest man on earth. But the qualifying heat for the race was set on Sunday, and Little refused to run. As I've described in articles and commentary in the Wall Street Journal, I have long been obsessed with the film. The title of the movie is taken from a stanza in a Christian poem by William Blake. Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I do love the movie. I've seen it many times. And yet, and yet. To know the biblical origin of Blake's phrase is to understand from a Jewish perspective a sad irony in the title of this great work of art. It can, however, also be said that to return to the original scriptural chariot of fire is to discover the love and loyalty of the Jewish people throughout the centuries. As we have seen, the Almighty instructed Elijah to select Elisha as his successor, thereby implying that Elijah's own role was coming to an end. Yet unlike other prophets in Scripture, indeed unlike even Moses, Elijah is not going to die, and instead will be taken up to heaven. That Elijah is leaving this world is somehow sensed by the B'nai Hanaviim, or sons of the prophets, the entourage of spiritual students that cleave to the messengers of God. Elisha, knowing of Elijah's imminent departure, refuses to leave his teacher's side. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yes, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, hear, for the Lord hath sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. Elijah then comes to the Jordan River, and another miracle is made manifest. Verse 7, And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. Here, then, a mysterious parallel between Elijah and Moses is established. Moses splits waters. Elijah splits waters. Moses departed this world on the other side of the Jordan. Elijah now journeys to depart this world on the other side of the Jordan. But where there is similarity, there is also difference. Elijah's 
actual leaving of this world will be nothing like that of Moses. Moses passes away, whereas Elijah will leave Elisha through a medium that is entirely supernatural. Elijah hints to this in the conversation that follows, verse 9. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing, nevertheless. If thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so. For what exactly is Elisha asking? One possibility is that he wishes, for his own prophetic power, to be twice as miraculously manifest as that of his predecessor, Elijah. Another interpretation is that Elisha is asking to inherit more of Elijah's covenantal calling than any other in the prophet's entourage. Either way, Elijah here intimates that he will be taken away in a manner that only the truly spiritually great can sense. And so it was, verse 11. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. Thus Elijah departs this world with Elisha serving as prophet in his stead. Why doesn't Elijah die? Why is Elijah taken in this manner? For the Bible, Elijah remains alive, waiting, as a later prophet will tell us, to announce the coming of the Messiah, thus the conclusion of the book of Malachi, to which we will later come. Behold, I send unto thee Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Elijah, then, has a future role designated for him to announce the coming of the Messiah. But here, there is much more to be said. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik once pointed to a statement made by Maimonides, who asserts in his code that the people of Israel must earn the coming of the Messiah through its relationship with God. Whether the Messiah comes, Maimonides seems to be saying, is up to us. Whether he redeems us depends on whether we become spiritually worthy of redemption. But at the same time, Maimonides himself stresses that the ultimate arrival of the Messiah is a foundation of the Jewish faith. So Jews have proudly proclaimed throughout the centuries, even though the Messiah may tarry, I still await his coming daily. Maimonides' assertion, then, begs the following question. What if Jews never become worthy of the Messianic redemption? How can traditional Jews be so certain, indeed why are we obligated to believe, that the Messiah will eventually come? This question was posed by Rabbi Soloveitchik, and his answer is startling. Because the Messiah will come only when Israel is worthy of his coming, therefore the belief in the certainty of redemption is of necessity a belief that Israel will prove itself worthy of the Messiah. Thus, as Rabbi Soloveitchik further writes, the Jewish credo which expresses belief in the Messiah's coming is, quote, based upon faith in Knesset Yisrael, the congregation of Israel. It is not, Rabbi Soloveitchik continues, an easy faith, end quote. Faith in the Messiah, in other words, is faith in the Jewish people and in the Jewish ability to bring the Messiah by becoming worthy of the Messiah's arrival. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is where it gets very interesting. Throughout the centuries, Elijah comes to be seen not only as the prophet who will announce the future redemption, but also as the witness throughout the ages to the loyalty of the Jewish people. Recall that originally in the scene of the sound of silence, Elijah stood on Sinai 
And unlike Moses who pleaded for Israel, Elijah instead attacks the people for its disloyalty. But now, with Elijah still alive, he becomes for tradition the exact opposite. The prophet who had complained about Israel becomes the prophet who observes the spiritual loyalty of Israel. Elijah becomes known as the Malach Habrit, the angel or messenger of the covenant, who journeys around the world witnessing the devotion of the people of Israel to the covenant. That is why Jews now have a tradition of placing a kisei shel Eliyahu, a chair for Elijah, at circumcisions, welcoming the prophet to watch as we welcome the child into the covenant of Abraham. One Midrashic text, the Pirkei Drabeliezer, provides a source for this circumcision ritual. And I cite here the translation of Sepharia. Quote, Elijah, may he be remembered for good, arose and fled from the land of Israel, and he betook himself to Mount Chorev, as it is said, and he arose and did eat and drink. There the Holy One, blessed be he, was revealed unto him. And he said to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? He answered him, saying, I have been very zealous. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, Thou art always zealous. And then God of the Midrash adds, By thy life they shall not observe the covenant of circumcision until thou seest it done with thine eyes. Hence the sages instituted the custom that people should have a seat of honor for the messenger of the covenant. For Elijah, may he be remembered for good, is called the messenger of the covenant. End quote. Thus Elijah, who once criticized the faith of Israel, now journeys around the world from circumcision to circumcision. He does not die, and he witnesses the faith of the Jewish people that never dies. This in part, perhaps, is why many also have the tradition of opening the door for Elijah at the Passover Seder, linking the exodus that was to come to the future redemption that is yet to be, and implying that this future redemption will come in part because of the loyalty that Jews make manifest on moments like Passover itself. Here, then, is the painful irony when we return to the film that is called Chariots of Fire. While one may have expected a rabbi who loves the film to identify with the Jewish runner, in fact, it is Eric Little, the Christian character, who I often cite in my sermons. Abrams, as depicted in Chariots, is stung by the latent anti-Semitism he encounters in elite English society, and he sees his Jewishness in the film as nothing but a social handicap. He runs in order to gain acceptance. In the movie, when Abrams explains to the woman that he would ultimately marry, that he considers running a weapon against, quote-unquote, being Jewish, she cannot help but laugh and say, you're not serious. And he gloomily replies, you're not Jewish or you wouldn't ask. Little, in contrast, is devout. His faith motivates his athletics. Perhaps the most famous quote from the film, which I paraphrase here, is Little's explanation for why he runs. And I give it to you, ladies and gentlemen, in my amazing Scottish accent. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And then he adds, to give it up would be to hold him in contempt. Abram's response to anti-Semitism is not pride in Judaism, but assimilation. And so when he's confronted at Cambridge by anti-Semitic dons, Abram says nothing about his ancient heritage. And instead, he insists indignantly, I am a Cambridge man first and last. I am an Englishman first and last. What I have achieved and what I intend to achieve is for my family, for my university, and for my country. The film begins and ends with Abram's very non-Judaic funeral, where Blake's Chariots of Fire poem is sung. The original Chariot of Fire, in contrast, is now for Jews eternally affiliated with loyalty to the Jewish faith 
and with Elijah's witnessing of Jewish endurance. In 2020, I took Yeshiva University students to Cambridge. We had come to look at treasures of the Cairo Geniza to see the handwriting of Maimonides and Judah Halevi, to see the incredible intellectual achievements of a thousand years of Jewish scholarship. But as I reflected in commentary, I could not help but stop at the great court of Trinity College, where in the film, though I believe it was not filmed there, Abrams is shown successfully completing the college dash running around the square in 12 seconds. In the movie, when Abrams completes the race in time, one of the watching dons sardonically sneers, perhaps they really are God's chosen people after all. Indeed they are. And the man who first ascended in a chariot of fire, Elijah, is the one for Jewish tradition that is selected to witness the Jewish people's mysterious endurance. Over a hundred years ago, my great-grandmother sat at a Seder with her father, who was the rabbi of a town in Eastern Europe. My great-grandmother, then a child, was honored with the ritual of opening the door for Elijah, the prophet of redemption, and as she did so, was greatly impressed to see a man with a large beard standing there right in front of her. It turned out to be somebody from the Jewish community who had come to ask a ritual question of her father, the rabbi. But the truth is that it is inspiring to ponder Jews who celebrated the festival of freedom, even when they were profoundly persecuted, who remembered the covenant and the Holy Land through centuries of exile, and who made their loyalty to Judaism manifest by sitting at the Seder and earnestly awaiting Elijah's knock at the door. This is Mayor Soloveitchik looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.